Welcome to another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. Reggie Rizzo and Marcus Path coming at you on today's episode. Tis the season for snow flies, we'll explain. A large endangered clam makes a comeback in the Adriatic, and a good dog named Kobe saves the day. Some feel-good vibes heading into the weekend. That plus this week in history, we go back to the golden age of comic books. Coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. With the recent snowfall I've had to deal with in Wisconsin, I found this next story interesting. Mainly, it's because something I don't think I've actually seen in all my years here. When you think of winter, you don't think of any animals flourishing, let alone consider it mating season. In fact, most insects typically succumb to death or enter a state of suspended development. However, for the minuscule specks dotting the white snow known as snowflies, it marks the season of activity, a time for them to scurry around, seek a mate, and spawn baby snowflies. Back in late 2016, John Tuthill, a professor at the University of Washington, stumbled across these creatures during a hike in the Cascade Mountains. While his usual focus was on studying fruit flies, which he humorously describes as screwed in the cold, he was astonished to observe their distant relatives thriving in such harsh conditions. Tuthill and his team gradually lowered the temperature of a cold plate to replicate the wintry environment that snowflies occur outdoors. The surprising discovery was that unlike other insects that enter a paralyzed chill coma state before freezing, the snowflies continued their movements until they were frozen solid. There's a small chance they'll meet their love of their life and end up being able to procreate, muses Tuthill. He added, for me, snowflies are just kind of a paragon of like fortitude and bravery. They have figured out how to live in an environment where there's almost no other insect. And the advantage of that is they have a place where they can make free love on the snow with each other without interruption from predators in incredibly beautiful conditions, end quote. I think he's romanticizing it a little too much, but... Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a very romantic insect, according to Tuttle, but fair enough. I think think it's a little tongue-in-cheek. It gets even more interesting, but uh, Tuthill's laboratory is engaging citizen scientists to further... Wait, 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 wait. What, what, What is a citizen scientist, Reggie? Is this just like, hey, I raised my hand, I'm a scientist, let me in? I think it's just people who are interested in the sciences that wants to take part and help out, even though they're not officially a doctor or professor. Okay. That's what I consider a okay. citizen scientist. Okay, sure. <laughs> so Tuthill's laboratory is engaging these citizen scientists to further their exploration of snowflies. So if you find yourself in the mountains and come across these delicate insects, you have the opportunity to collect them and contribute to Tuthill's research by sending them to him. So I'm that's a citizen doctor, just FYI. <laughs> you're gonna go perform some surgery on your free time that's right that's right i volunteered so i'm in <laughs> all right well all you have to do to be a citizen scientist here is if you see the snowflies collect them send them to him so he can continue his research but okay. a little a little background on the snowfly which i said is new to me it's a wingless crane fly to me it sort of resembles a spider in some ways but with only six legs It was first found in Alberta, Canada, and now 40 species have been discovered in the Northern Hemisphere. They don't appear to feed on plants or animals. In fact, adults are not believed to consume solid food, which helps prevent crystals from forming in them. They actually have a difficult time surviving in warm weather due to the way their body fluids are set up. Like a lot of insects, four stages, egg, larval, pupil, adult. Once they hit that adult stage, they head out looking for a mate which can be difficult because they are normally spread out. However, they aren't very picky. Once two find each other, they just start to mate. 
Remember our story on beer goggles a few weeks ago? <laughs> yeah. The peak <laughs> mating seasons are October to November and February to March. So some of those, you know, it's kind of cold months to really cold months. Now, the impressive part, for me at least, their mating lasts 30 to 70 minutes. Wow. That's a long time for an insect, I would think. Wow. A lot of jokes to be made there that I will refrain from making on this family show. The females then lay up to 200 eggs in a leaf litter or rodent nest or decaying wood. Once the eggs hatch, they just feed on the feces or organic debris. They don't damage plants. Mice, rats, birds, and other insects eat them. Rocket crickets being their main predator. So overall, these bugs are just food for nature and they don't cause any harm. I've never heard of the snowfly. I never came across a snowfly, but now I'm quite fascinated with them. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. I, I also think it's odd to call it a fly when it doesn't have wings. It's isn't that really the where the name was derived from? I guess, you know, the relatives. I, I, I don't know what to tell you there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the flightless fly. <laughs> yeah, pretty interesting, uh, Reg. And yeah, I, I, I suppose you could set out with your uh, son and daughter here on a little expedition in search of snowflies now. Although if you catch them mating, you're going to be sitting there for a long time waiting for them to finish. <laughs> well, you'll once they're done, <laughs> send them on over to Tuthill and you'll be a citizen scientist in your own right. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Well, good news from the seas. Marine biologists are reporting a significant resurgence in the population of a once endangered massive clam in the waters off Croatia. This per a Reuters report, the noble pen shell, scientifically referred to as Pina nobilis, hopefully I'm pronouncing that somewhat close to the way it's supposed to be stated, faced a decline due to the spread of a lethal pathogen in parts of the Mediterranean back around 2016. The population sharply decreased across the region, and until recently, Croatian scientists were only aware of approximately 10 surviving in their portion of the Adriatic. That was until last year when a diver spotted 20 of them off the shore in the north of the Istria Peninsula. Sandra Dumovic of the Natura Historica organization, which I'm sure I'm absolutely butchering, manages Istria's protected areas and told Reuters, quote, the news sounded incredible. It was impossible they were alive. It was a sign that they are still reproducing themselves, end quote. Last year, biologists were able to collect around 100 young specimens and take them to an aquarium. The shells on these noble pen shells can grow to be as long as four feet across, and the organism itself plays an important ecological role by filtering seawater and retaining large amounts of organic matter from suspended detritus. This in turn contributes to water clarity while allowing other organisms to flourish. In an aquarium in the Adriatic town of Pula, noble pen shells are kept in specially filtered water, clear of the parasites that can attack them. Per biologist Nicolina Primate, quote, we keep them here primarily to secure the cleanest possible environment for them and try to strengthen them as much as possible to become resistant and capable to survive a possible return to the sea, 
end quote. Jumovich and Primate said it was too early to say what led to the organism's resurgence, but Croatia's government is funding more research. Jumovich says a number of individuals and institutions are now working together along the Adriatic coast to search for and collect additional samples. So, Red, just sort of a, a feel-good story there about uh, an, an organism that appeared to be on the brink of extinction, quite frankly, and now making a comeback and uh, making it a little more intriguing. We really don't know why. Yeah, I always like to hear these stories about animals making a comeback. It makes me feel good knowing that uh, some, when something's on the brink of extinction and we find them. And anytime something goes extinct, obviously, it's it's going to hurt our environment. So I like hearing these stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know that if one, as, as you alluded to, if one organism were to go extinct, it's going to have an impact on pretty much everything else that's in that environment. So uh, just good news here all around. Well, and speaking of good news, here's a bit more for the end of your week. Per GNN, a potentially catastrophic event was avoided in a quiet Philadelphia neighborhood just a few days before Christmas. It's obviously been a few weeks now since this story transpired, but Kobe, the four-year-old husky, is finally getting his due after he used his keen sense of smell to sniff out a disastrous gas leak and alerted his owner, Chanel Bell. Per GNN, Bell and her canine companion had recently moved into their new home when the former noticed Kobe was constantly digging in the same spot in the yard. Knowing him to be an avid digger, she didn't think much of it at first, but as the hole got bigger and bigger, she stood up and took notice. Quote, I trust his judgment because this isn't his typical behavior. He has great senses, and he never digs holes unless he is helping me dig. I knew something was up, end quote. Chanel had a gas leak in the house earlier in December, and given Kobe's hole went underneath the sidewalk, she, quote, trusted her intuition to take out her gas detection device, and immediately the reading detected gas, a cataclysmic amount of gas at that. Chanel then alerted authorities who informed her that if Kobe hadn't detected the leak when he did on December 21st, the consequences could have been fatal. Bell told GNN, quote, We were told it could have caused serious health effects like respiratory issues, brain damage, and even death. They told me that something as simple as a light switch turning on could have caused an explosion, too, end quote. The gas foreman and crew immediately turned off her gas and got to work on the aged pipes that were leaking in three places and which could have affected other houses in the neighborhood as well. Chanel says the authorities were extremely impressed with Kobe and mentioned what a good dog he is. She went on to say people should always listen to their animals and their senses. Quote, feels amazing to know Kobe saved our block. I'm very thankful to have him. I hope that this spreads awareness to others about the dangers and severity of gas leaks and to pay attention to your fur babies, end quote. Well, Reg, I'm a big dog guy at that. So uh, anytime I hear a story like this, it makes me smile. Kobe, the four-year-old husky, just getting to work and being a productive member of society. Yeah, it's a good thing he went. It's a good thing he went to the danger and not away from the danger. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the nature of dogs. A, a lot of the time is they uh, they seek it out and take it on. Not all dogs, mind you. I have a Chihuahua in my house who, <laughs> who's afraid of pretty much everything. But uh, you know, a lot of other dogs are uh, are rush in and we'll figure it out when we get there. So uh, appreciative of that. Hopefully, some good vibes going into the weekend. Clearly, I was a Chihuahua then in a the past life because <laughs> I'm going the other way. I'm sorry. <laughs> You are a little vicious from time to time, too, Reg. So, yeah, I can see it. And a little nippy and annoying. <laughs> I had chihuahuas, too, so I can say that. <laughs> 
Taking a look at this day in history, in 1939, Timely Comics was founded by American publisher Marin Goodman in New York. Now, if you aren't familiar with that name, you might know it better by Marvel Comics, which they changed to in the 1960s. The first issue of Timely Comics was titled Marvel Comics Number 1 and featured an android superhero, the Human Torch. Yes, that same Human Torch that ended up being in the Fantastic Four. He was the creation and writer of artist Carl Burgos, the comic also featured Namor the Submariner, created by Bill Everett, and Angel, who is a costume detective designed by Paul Gustafson. The Tencent comic was released on August of 1939, with the cover date showing October 1939. It quickly sold out with 80,000 copies, so they did a second printing. That one sold 800,000 copies. Ooh. So there is a reason some people consider the 30s, late 30s especially, the golden era of comics. The Marvel Comics name was officially adopted in 1961. In 2015, however, Marvel finally registered the trademark for Timely Comics, followed by an announcement that Timely Comics would be what they used to release new imprints of low-priced reprint comics. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I can't say I'm a comic book aficionado, but I, it does make sense to me as to why the 30s would have been the quote unquote golden age here. Certainly, you know, you're you're sort of a pre-television era and people are looking for forms of entertainment and you see these really impressive illustrations, which I think is the, a staple of, of comic books, certainly. So to uh, to have that available at that time, I can see why it would have taken off. You know, the sad part, though, is 800,000 copies at 10 cents each. That's only $8,000. <laughs> well, I think $8,000 went a lot further than it does today, Reg. <laughs> True, but still only $8,000. <laughs> only eight grand in 39, man. <laughs> it, it is interesting. I didn't uh, realize, I guess, that Marvel Comics was named Timely Comics for a short period. Well. I shouldn't say a short period, about 20 some years there. They were uh, had, went by a different name, although I do find it interesting. The first one was called Marvel Comics. Yeah, that is interesting. You wonder what went into that thinking there and, and why they ultimately opted to use Marvel in the first comic, despite not being named that way. By the way, $8,000 in 1939, I just did the research, amounts to about $170,000 uh, in in today's terms, which not bad, but I guess you do have a point because for something that sold that many units, typically you would expect it to be worth a lot more. Although I guess to be fair, 100000 and you're usually putting out a comic like once a month, that's not too bad for yeah. one month of comics. I mean, I'll take it. Anybody that wants to give me that kind of money, I'm in. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I'm Reggie. He's Marcus Path. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. You can also catch us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.